Welcome to the Radiant Visalia podcast. Join us at one of our two services, 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. Download the Church Center app or visit our website, radiantvisalia.com, to stay connected with us. All right, enjoy. spent some, uh, some, some great time with God as he ministered to me, and so it sounded like last week was an incredible time together, and it's always, um, it's, it's always a little bit concerning when church is always fantastic when you're not here. There's a part of me that's actually really excited when I phone, and I hear that church was amazing, and then a part of me that's like, why is it always so amazing when I'm not here? <laughs> One of the things that June said that caught my attention was that we would be tempted to tune out as we moved through a teaching about our position in Christ. Because the book of Ephesians starts by spending the first three chapters talking about our position. And then the next three chapters talk about our practice. And what June said is that we would be tempted together as a church to tune out of a teaching about our position in Christ and want to get to our practice as believers. And I thought, I thought that something she said um, was, was really penetrating for me. And what she said is that none of us are going to do anything 
unless we know the truth about what God has done for us. None of us are going to do anything unless we know the truth about what God has done for us. We would be tempted to say things like, yeah, 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 I know Jesus loves me. Yeah, 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 I heard that before. I know I'm a child of God. Let's get on with it. Let's talk about our practice as believers. Let's talk about how to be better husbands. Let's talk about how to be better fathers. Let's talk about how to have better relationships. Let's talk about how to pray. Let's talk about how to engage in spiritual warfare. Let's get on with those things. And none of us are going to do anything unless we understand the truth about what God has done for us. So I want to talk about that, and my hope is that this morning that God would continue, as he did last week, to secure us and to give us a confidence. Um, The reason I want to talk about it, and I'm going to hit it over and over again this morning, because I really believe that it's difficult for us to grasp position coming before our practice. That we have a position in Christ before we perform. And the reason that we have a hard time grasping this is because our world operates in a completely different way. We are about to watch the Super Bowl today. I will make uh, one... um, I'm allowed... I guess, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm allowed one Super Bowl analogy today. And I'm going to use it early in my sermon. So keep me accountable to this. Because I don't want to spend the whole time talking about the saints. Except for the end of our time, in which we will intercede for 30 minutes that the saints win this game. Thus saith the Lord. about to watch the Super Bowl today in which people have different positions on the field. Am I right? They have a position. And that position is the result of them earning it through practice. They've earned that position by proving themselves. They've earned that position by performing. So their position on that field is the result of their practice. And their practice came before their position. Those, those type of roles would never be given to them unless they had proven themselves. This is really difficult for us to grasp. That God says before we've done a thing, that you're my beloved. That the scriptures say that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That he preceded us. The way that the world works, and I think we've put together a slide... The way that the world works is that we do things. We do in order to have so that we can be. This is probably the way you've come in here operating today. You do things. You work hard. You perform. You spent an hour on your hair this morning. You do things. And you do them in order to have friends, in order to have family, in order to have homes, in order to have success, in order 
that you have. I don't know what it is for you, a beamer. Uh, I don't know what it is. You work hard, you do, you perform in order to have so that you can be, so that you can be a success, so that you can be loved, so that you can be accepted, so that you can be well off, so that you can be um, the object of your neighbor's, um, you know, jealousy. We do in order to have so that we can be. And Jesus comes, as Jesus typically does, and flips this whole thing on its head. And he kicks off something completely different. If you remember the story of Jesus' baptism, before Jesus has done a thing, before he's performed, before he's done a miracle, before he's preached, before he's healed, before, before he's gone to the cross, before he's saved a soul, the Father says over him, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. So from the beginning, before Jesus does anything or has anything, he has an identity. And then, from that place, Jesus has confidence. Jesus has peace. Jesus has a level of trust in his Father that allows him to do things. And so now when Jesus does, he does out of his being. He doesn't do in order to be something. He is something before the Father. And because of it, he's got a level of peace, confidence, and anointing that he begins to operate out of. They're a complete reversal. And this is really, really difficult for us to understand. That your position in God comes before your performance. Ephesus had about 50 different false religions. There are about 50 different gods and goddesses being worshipped in Ephesus. And they all had one thing in common. And those gods and goddesses and false religions still have things in common with our gods, goddesses, and false religions. What they have in common is that they believe in a spiritual realm. What they have in common is that they believe in God, in a God. But none of them believe in a God who's inherently loving or gracious towards us. None of them would dare to call God a loving Father. So this is the way this works. When you're worshiping a God who's not inherently loving or gracious towards you, who doesn't precede you, then what you do is that you have to manipulate that God through religion. Religion is our attempt to manipulate God, to either appease or manipulate God. And if you want something from God, in Ephesus, if you were worshiping a God or a goddess, and you wanted something from that God. Well, that God's not bent towards you. So what do you have to do? You've got to do something to manipulate that spirit. You've got to do something to manipulate that spirit through prayer, incantations, sacrifice, through holy and righteous living, through being a good person. You've got to take a trip to a Mecca. You've got to tithe 10%. You've got to clean up your moral act. 
And all the false religions to this day demand that you do something to manipulate and bend the spirit world to be gracious to you. It's not that way towards you. You've got to do something down here to get that spirit realm to bend itself towards you. And Paul emerges on the scene with good news. Paul emerges on this scene with the Christian message. He emerges on this scene with the gospel, with the good news. And gospel is different than religion. And I'll outline some of the differences between gospel and religion. Paul spends the first chapter of Ephesians talking about a loving Father who is towards us and for us. Who we don't pray to in a means to manipulate Him, to talk Him into doing something good towards us. But it talks about a Father who in love has chosen us. A Father who has a plan. That there is separation and distance and born of the heart of a Father He wants to see us brought back to himself. And he's redeemed us, predestined us, chosen us, elected us. This is the good news of the gospel, is that God has initiated. You did not initiate relationship with him. He initiated relationship with you. As a loving father, he precedes you. We don't need to manipulate God. He's a loving Father, and He's got a plan for us. He has a plan for you, which you'll see clearly as we read Ephesians 1. And we don't need to be fit or deserving in order to be the recipients of His grace. Only Christianity dares to make God's love unconditional and His grace unmerited. God does not love us because we're lovely. God does not love you because you're lovely. God loves you to make you lovely. And the reason that we love Him today, and the reason that we serve Him, is not so that He'll be good to us. We don't love Him and serve Him so that He will be good to us. We love Him and we serve Him because He has been good to us. He precedes us. And you've got to get this straight because the difference, it's, these things sound very subtle and sound pretty, pretty you know, sing-songy. Um, you know, like if you uh, fail to plan, then you plan to fail. You know, like, it, it, like this is confusing to you. You've got to get the difference between these two things because the difference is the difference between religion and the gospel. And I think that if we can understand that we belong to God before we become anything, then we have a leg up in understanding the difference between the gospel and all the other religions of the world. If we can understand that we have a position in Him before we perform, that we have a position in Him that we now practice out of, we don't practice in order to gain a position, that if you can understand this, then you'll have a great understanding of the difference between the gospel and religion. Religion, again, is our attempt to appease 
or manipulate God. And here's what sucks about religion is that it ends, it can only end in two spots. If you're a religious person here this morning and your Christianity is about what you do for God and about your attempts to pray and tithe and attend church on time so that you can manipulate him into doing good things for you because he's really not a good father. He's really frustrated with you, so you've got to trick him, bend his arm, twist his arm with your prayers, hit him with a stick so that he drops goodies from the sky. If you have this mentality, you're, you're missing it. And it listen to where it will end. You will either end up in pride because you were able to jump through the hoops, or it will end in despair. And I watch this go on over and over again with people. If you've taken, it's like people, um, you know, when it's about them and what they're doing and what they're going to do for God, it either ends up in pride because they were able to do it somehow, or it ends up in despair because they weren't able to do it. And it leads, I mean, it's like we swing back and forth, pride, despair, pride, despair, pride, despair. And that cycle is uh, the result of uh, religion. This doesn't have anything to do with the gospel. The gospel, the good news this morning, is about a God who is satisfied and who can't be manipulated because he is the committed initiator of relationship. The good news, the gospel that Paul came preaching to the Ephesians that caused an explosion in their city, that caused the church to explode in their city, is that God is satisfied and he can't be manipulated by you because he's the committed initiator of relationship with you. That is the good news. He's not waiting for your song and dance, you know? Not waiting for you to use the word beseech. He's not. Let me outline some of the differences between religion and gospel. Because religion says that if you obey, then God will love you. If you obey, then God will love you. And the gospel said, the gospel says, because God loves you, you can now obey. It's not, if you're good, then God will love you. That's religion. The gospel is, you're bad. You're bad and God loves you. Doesn't that make you want to be good? Doesn't that change your heart? While we were still sinners, the Bible says, Christ died for us. It's not if, if you obey, then God will love you. But Jesus was obedient and he loves us. If I will perform, religion says, then I will be accepted. And the gospel says that Jesus has performed and now we are accepted in the beloved. Religions, I won't go into, go, uh, into this, but 
religions um, says that the they they say that the world is about good people and bad people. That's what religion says. And the gospel says that there are repentant bad people and unrepentant bad people. It changes this us and them conversation. Religions are about what you do. Religion is about what I do. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I use my turn indicator. Uh, I'm a good person. I try hard. I try hard. I try hard. I'm a moral person. Uh, Religion is about what you do. And the gospel is about what Jesus did. It's not about what I do. It's about what he has done for me. It's not about my works. It's about him. It's about Jesus' works. It's about his sinless life. It's about his sacrifice, his death, his resurrection. It's about Jesus. And Ephesians starts with who God is and what he has done. And that is good news that it starts that way. Your Christian life starts with who God is and what God has done. That is good news for you. Let's read it together. But before we do, I want to explain to you what David Moore explained to us a couple weeks ago, that in the Greek, this is one sentence. And I love that because it was like Paul didn't even have time for punctuation. He was so, and and I think that a lot of these topics in here of predestination, election, um, foreknowledge, uh, his grace, uh, they've become debated. And I think that we've forgotten to put these terms inside of their context, which is basically a rant of praise to God. He is, he is, has diarrhea of the mouth. He's just flowing. He's just praising God for what God has done. He's not stopping to punctuate it. He's not stopping to explain it. He's saying, God, this is who you are. And I think we need to remember that as we look at these. In the same way that my daughter comes to me when she's excited and it's like, you've got to slow her down, you know? And then it's just, you know, and you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. What happened? This is what happened. You know, this is this is what I see going on from Paul. I mean, he's just caught up in worshiping and praising God. You need to remember who wrote this. He was killing Christians. He was killing Christians and he hated the church. This man was not on a fast track to being a church planner and writing our New Testament. This was not where he was headed. He cared nothing for Jesus and he was killing Christians. But God pursued him. God initiated relationship with him. God wanted him. God made provision for him. Remember who's writing this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. 
to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one He loves. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and earth together under one head, even Christ. In Him we were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will, in order that we, who were first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of His glory. And you were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of His glory. Paul starts by saying, praise be to God, and ends by saying, to the praise of His glory. Praise God for this. Is this typically... <laughs> I haven't want to talk about that. Um, <laughs> this chapter provides us an amazing picture of who God is. And we could spend a long time talking about it. We could probably argue about it. Probably spend some time creating like a glossary of terms as well. But what I want you to uh, pull back and see is the plan of God. That God is the initiator. And I want you to see the beautiful way uh, that the Trinity works. Because the first three verses are about a father who sends his son to implement this plan that's in his heart and then gives us the Holy Spirit to sustain us and gives us the Holy Spirit so that the plan and the implementation will be applied to our lives. This is an amazing um, glimpse of the Trinity. God exists as, as Father, Son, and Spirit. And, and because of that, we see in God Himself relationship. We see in God Himself community. We see in God Himself communication. And because we've been created in the image of God, we have a thirst for these things. We have a deep thirst for relationship. We have a deep thirst for community and for communication. A deep thirst for it. When we sin against God, again, I just want to touch the mega theme of Ephesians 1. When we sin against God, it creates separation. It creates separation between us and God, and it, separate, and it separates us from others as well. This is what sin does. It separates. Separates us from God and separates us from others. When our father Adam sinned in the garden, he hid from God and he hid from Eve as well. And so we know when sin entered the world and when you 
sin, it creates distance. We distance ourselves from God. We distance ourselves from others. So God, who has designed us to be in relationship and knows that we need relationship and sees us continually creating distance and continually separating ourselves from God and from others, comes up with a plan. He derives a plan because he's created us to live in relationship with each other. And the plan, again, it comes from the heart of a dad. The plan comes from the heart of a dad. It's implemented by a son, and it's applied and sustained by the Holy Spirit. This is the Father's plan of salvation. The Father's plan of salvation includes these spiritual blessings. Maybe you noticed them as we read Ephesians 1. But the Father's plan of salvation included blessing us. It included choosing us. The Father's plan of salvation included uh, us being predestined. His plan for salvation included us being loved. His plan of salvation included us being adopted. His plan of salvation included us being redeemed. And I want to touch on a few of these because Paul starts Ephesians 1 by saying, we've been blessed. As Christians, we've been blessed with all these spiritual blessings. We've been chosen, predestined, loved, adopted, redeemed. We've been these things. We've been blessed. And I want to talk about just a few of them this morning. I want to talk about um, the spiritual blessing of being blessed. The spiritual blessing of being predestined. And the spiritual blessing of redemption. And I'm going to do so really briefly. Paul writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And part of what it means to be a Christian is that we've been blessed. Part of what it means to be a Christian is that you've been blessed. And I think, unfortunately, when we think of blessing, we think exclusively in material terms. Oh, that's fantastic. We've been blessed. I'll be happy, healthy, be wealthy. This is what blessing amounts to. And what I want to say is that our blessing as believers is not always material. It's not always visible. It includes material things, and I believe it includes visible things, but it's not exclusively material things. And I think some of us can read a passage like this, I did this week, and say, I don't really feel like that. I know that Ephesians 1 says that I have this position before God, but practically I don't, I'm not experiencing that. I'm not experiencing, the, I'm not experiencing the reality of what Scripture says that I have. And I think it's really easy when I want to I say to you this morning that if you know Christ, you're blessed. It's really easy to start to think, well, that's funny because I just put new brakes on my car last week. And I can't afford this. And this is what's been going on in my life. We tend to think of blessing in, 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 in exclusively material terms. 
visible things. And I just want to remind you again, Paul is writing this letter from prison. Paul is writing this letter. And Paul went on this rant in a hungry, lonely jail cell. Probably weren't too many material blessings that he was experiencing when he communicated this. And what Paul understands, and what you need to understand this morning, and by you I mean me, is that in this life, God's blessing is not exclusively stuff, although it may include stuff. It's not stuff, but it's not not stuff. It may include stuff. But what Paul understands is that God didn't just give him stuff. God gave him himself. God doesn't just give stuff. God gives himself. Ephesians 1 is about God giving himself. When you think about the greatest blessings in your life, I know when I think about the greatest blessings in my life, I think about um, my wife and I think about my kids. Right? Anybody else with me here? When you think about being blessed by God, you think about uh, your wife, your husband, and you think about your kids. If you don't, um, that doesn't, that's, that's what I think about. And, and, and for, and for seven years, my wife's given me some incredible stuff and not just stuff. She's given me things like, um, uh, she's been gracious to me. She's been kind to me. I think that my wife is beautiful. I think that she's talented. I think that I'm scoring points right now. Let's pray before I screw that up. But the greatest gift that my wife my wife has given me is that I, I, she's given me herself, all of it. I, I have a sense that my wife has has given herself to me, and there's some stuff that comes along with God. But you need to understand that God doesn't just give stuff; God's given Himself. And being blessed can't be defined by just uh, material terms. And this is what Paul understands from a jail cell as he's lonely and starving and cold. That God has given himself. Thirty times in the book of Ephesians it says, In Christ. That we are in Christ. And the reason it says that thirty times is because God has given us himself. We are in Christ because God has given us himself. It's probably unfair even to talk. Uh, I, I, I want to bring some things to the light, though, in, in surrounding this issue of predestination. 
verse 4 says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. I honestly feel like these words, I'm not sure that Paul ever thought that these words would be so debated. This is a prayer of praise and thanksgiving. And we're going to build our theology on it. Don't get me wrong, but I'm not sure he... uh, I'm not sure he meant that it would be this debated. And I think, again, what Paul is sharing with the Ephesian church is that God is going to love you no matter what. He's after you like he's after me. And I think that we have to remember this concept of predestination inside the context of God being a loving Father because it appears in that passage. Don't separate the, con- the concept of predestination from the context of God being a loving Father who is bent on finding you. I think that a lot of terrible things happen when we take the doctrine of predestination and separate it from the character of God. Bad, bad stuff happens. Now, how we hold it in tension with the character of who God is is somewhat difficult. But don't separate this concept of predestination from the bigger context of God being a loving Father who is pursuing you. If you do this, if you separate the two, you're going to be pretty concerned and you'll be pretty upset. You can't disconnect the action of predestination from God being a loving Father. As a loving Father, as a loving Father to my daughter, I don't often say things to her like, well, I don't want to step on her free will. As a loving father, I don't often say, well, you know what? She needs to do what she needs to do, and that's most loving for her right now. So if you need to run out into traffic, you know, you've got free will. What I want to tell, what I want to tell you, what I want to tell you, what I want to tell you, and this is hard for you to understand because we're Americans, Americans, what I want to tell you as Americans is that there is something more important than your free will. There's something more important than your free will as a child of God. And that thing that is more important than your free will is His love. His love is more important than your free will. And when issues come up with my daughter, what's more important than her free will is my love for her. And so you better believe I'm going to rescue her. You better believe I'm going to keep her from running out into traffic. 
And you better believe she's probably going to kick and scream and, and, and talk about her freedom. And I don't care at that point about her free will. What I care about is my love for her and her life. Don't separate this idea of predestination and your free will from the idea that your father will find you. And he's the committed initiator of relationship with you. We've been redeemed, Scripture says. There's been redemption that's gone on in our lives. You've been taken out of bondage. You've been taken out of bondage and slavery so that you can worship God. That's what Ephesians 1 tells us. You've been redeemed. There's been redemption in your life. I think it was easy for me to read this and go, well, I don't feel like a slave. I don't necessarily feel like a slave. I, I feel free. And the scriptures say that you're actually a slave to sin. You're a slave to sin. And you're a slave to death. And if you don't think so, you can prove it by being perfect and by living forever. And if you can do, do those two things, then I'll believe you. But scripture says that you're a slave to sin. And that you're a slave to death. And Jesus comes and he redeems us from sin and death. And he gets us out of sin and death and he redeemed us. Is everyone still with me? Because <laughs> we're going to keep going. This is... Uh, Spending one Sunday on the entirety of Ephesians chapter 1 is, is brutal, and, and you're doing a good job. But I want to say that, that, that the why. Why would God go to such great lengths for you? Why would God do these things? Why would God devise a plan? It's found in, in verse 4. It says that we, He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us. In love, he blessed us. In love, He chose us. In love, He adopted us. In love, He redeemed us. This is the motivation of God's heart towards you. This is why He does what He does. This is why He goes to such great lengths. And I think you're probably saying to me uh, the same things I was saying this week. Is I feel like there are some days where I have evidence to support this type of Heavenly Father's activity in my life. There are days, there are, where I have evidence to support this type of a dad. And I can see very clearly his plan. And then there are days where I have evidence, I think I've got evidence, um, to support the exact opposite. I feel like there, I have days where I have evidence to support that there is no God. And that he has no plan. And that he's not a loving father, that he's really distant. And maybe you, as you read Ephesians 1, it's kind of like, man, I get, you know, that we have this position, but this doesn't feel like practically what my life looks like. How do we get this position to become our reality here? What do we do if what you're talking about doesn't seem to be my reality? 
this week I went, uh, I wasn't here on Sunday because I went to the beach with my wife and my kids. We had a four-day uh, beach trip planned. We were given a, a beach house, and we spent most of those days um, throwing up or cleaning up throw up because we all got the flu. And it's interesting because June touched on it last week, but it was really interesting the accusation that came up in my heart. I don't have a dad. He definitely doesn't care. <laughs> if he did, he would stop this now. And these are the type of thoughts that I was having. And then the pity party ensues. And it was an amazing party. You should have been there. <laughs> better, better than any Super Bowl party you're going to go to was the party that I was having. You know, here we are. We got given this beach house. We need to get given beach houses because I'm serving you, Lord, and making beans. And, and now they've given us this beach house and we're all sick and I don't even know if you're hearing me right now, but I'm going to say it anyways. That I just, where are you, you know? And to make it worse, I knew I had to teach on Ephesians 1, so I kept reading it. And I was like, yeah, man, it just sounded like, you know, when you show up at church on Sunday morning and you're buried, you know, and someone's like, praise God, hallelujah, brother, good to see you, you know, and you're like, nah, 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 nah. you know, like, I don't want to hear any of those things right now, you know, and, and yeah, I have those days too, you know, and um, I was having to read Ephesians 1 over and over again, praise be to God, you know, and I was thinking, what is Paul talking about, you know, this position that he says I have is not my practical reality right now, or, or I've decided that it's not my reality. Because blessing would have been, I don't know what I've defined it as. And you know what stirred me? It hit me like a ton of bricks. Is that when I continued to read Ephesians 1 over and over again, I had this idea that Paul was writing this from like his condo, his beach house that he had retired at, you know, he had done his work and planted his churches. And here's this man, lonely, single, awaiting martyrdom. The churches that he spent his life planting are turning away from him and his teaching and saying terrible things about him. And he's helpless to even defend himself because he's in prison. What a pity party this man could have had. God, here it is. I've, I've poured out my life for you. I've done nothing but preach the gospel. They stone me repeatedly. I'm about to lose my life. Because I pursued you, it didn't seem like this thing with a wife and kids worked out. That's not what goes on for him. And I want to encourage you to do three things. If you feel like what I'm talking about positionally in Christ is not what you're experiencing practically, I want to encourage you to do three things. And the first is this, stand in faith. What? Yeah, trust. Trust God. These realities are contingent upon our faith in them. 
The scripture says that, that, that after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, after you heard the word of truth, after your salvation, having believed you were sealed by the Holy Spirit, having faith in these realities, I want to encourage you to stand and believe that God is a good God and can be trusted. And the other thing is that Paul launches right into prayer after this. And it seems like a contradiction. How could he, how could uh, Paul say, well, God's got this plan and God's plans come to pass and he never fails and he never moves. And then right after that, you know, so it's kind of like, okay, the father's got a plan. The father's going to do what the father wants to do. The father's after me. I don't have a choice. I guess I'll just play video games because it doesn't matter what I do. Right after this um, talk about the Father's plan, Paul launches into prayer. Let me read his prayer to you. For this reason, or therefore, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. So right after he talks about this plan, this plan for human history that can't be stopped, he says, let's pray. (laughs) Let's pray that God would open our eyes to the glorious riches that are in him. Let's pray that God would open our eyes to what we've been given. So if you're stuck in a place where you don't have practically what you, what Ephesians one says you has have positionally, you stand in faith and you trust. You turn to prayer in the same way that Paul turned to prayer. You ask that God would open your eyes to the glorious riches that are yours in Christ. And the other thing I want to encourage you to do, and we're going to end it with this, is that you look to those who have gone before you. You look to the faith of others. Hebrews says it this way, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ, the reason you can do that, the reason that you can look to those who have gone before us, is because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You stand in faith. God, I don't have a lot of evidence to support your activity in my life right now, but I believe that you're a good and loving Father who's after me. What are you wanting to do? I'm turning to prayer. God, I'm turning to prayer, and I'm asking that you would open my eyes to the glorious riches that are mine. Where are they at? Show me. And then you look to the faith of others who've stood. I was so encouraged when I read this and I remembered and I thought to myself, Paul wrote this from prison. Paul wrote this from jail. There was probably nothing going on in his life that he could praise God for. And he can't keep himself from doing it. And you know what really struck me and convicted me as I read this? is that Paul's writing the church that he spent a ton of time with compared to the others. He knew people really well in Ephesus. He had done a great work in Ephesus. 
And when he writes them, he doesn't say, Hey guys, I've got some prayer requests. I'm lonely. I'm cold. The church is all over going haywire. I'm about to die. I'm awaiting trial. He doesn't write saying, I've got prayer requests. Paul writes the Ephesians church saying, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that God would open your eyes to the glorious riches that are found in Christ. Not I need your prayers. I'm praying for you. I'm contending with my time and my thoughts in prayer for a church that was doing really well. The church in Ephesus succeeded. The church in Ephesus planted 400 churches from that church. And Paul says, I'm praying for you. I was so convicted. I almost felt like Paul was saying to me, I'm in jail, Travis, but I'm praying about that vacation for you. And it was like, what? What? You know, that'd be like getting a memo from Haiti this morning saying, hey, we're praying for what God's doing in Visalia. Hope that he opens your eyes, you know. It's just cutting. It's convicting. It's terrible. Not that your problems aren't real, but what I'm telling you is that they're real small. Real small. And there is a Haitian church standing up today saying that God is good and he has a plan for our nation. And there are people dying of cancer in this hospital who are contending and believing for a good God who has a plan for their lives. And I just felt embarrassed as I read this. I thought, this is a joke, man. Well, this didn't work out, you know, the job. And, you know, I mean, it was just like, what in the world? What in the world? I want to imitate the faith of those who have gone before me, who had no reason to say, if blessing was based on exclusively material things, that praise God, he's blessed us with all these spiritual blessings. I'm in chains. I'm running out of ink. Praise God. He has blessed us. And what I want to say to you this morning is that God is the gospel and God has given himself to you. That's what Ephesians 1 is about. You have a position in him before you've performed. You belong to him before, before you become anything. Stop wasting your time with religious games, trying to appease and manipulate God by using words like beseech. I love that before uh, Paul starts talking about prayer, he establishes who the Father is. It's important that we know who we're praying to. Not just that we pray. Well, prayer is really important. Oprah calls us to do it. To who? You know, like, who are you talking to? You don't just get to throw things up into the air and pretend that they're going to land on the right guy. You know, we, we need to know who we're talking to. And when we pray, when we pray, we pray knowing that we have a heavenly father who has a plan. We pray from that position. We pray from that place. We pray knowing that we've got a good God. So can we ask whatever we want? Absolutely. Ask away. Ask whatever you want. You've got a God who loves you. Would a parent who loves you give you everything you asked for? No. And I think our attempt to stand in this place of faith and trust God um, can be really empowered by this metaphor that Paul gives us, that we are the children of God. 
And my daughter is so convinced that what she's telling me is the right thing to do. I mean, bless her little sincere heart. It's like, we don't have to take a nap, Dad. It's the best way to go about our day. Sincerely, she thinks that this would be best. Sincerely, she's telling me, I'm not tired. As she breaks down and throws a fit, I'm not tired. It's 1145. You're three. You know, you're tired. I'm not tired. I'm not tired. I'm not tired. The Bible says that at best you see dimly. When you're seeing clearly, when everything's in focus, you see dimly. At best, it's foggy. Paul had no idea as he sat in that jail cell that we'd be being blessed by his words thousands of years later. He had no idea that as he was stuck writing, that what he wrote would go on to encourage the church. We don't know what God's going to do with the things that we're facing. And we don't know the plan that he has. And just like Avery doesn't know that her request was a dumb request, you don't know that your request is a dumb request. I don't care if you're an adult. You don't see. I know you're 18. You don't see, you know? And I feel like for me, it serves as an amazing place for me to be able to stand and trust my Heavenly Father. I don't see what's going on here. Being sick with the flu at the beach house makes zero sense to me. But I trust you. And I'm praying, God, open my eyes to the glorious riches. And then I'm being stirred, stirred by Paul. Paul kicked my butt this week. Man, he handed it to me. He didn't even say anything to me. It just... I was cut, so convicted as I read this over and over again. I want to respond by worshiping this morning. I know last week we had a time of um, ministry, and I know I've gone 15 minutes past, and I'm sorry for that. And so if you need to go, feel free to go. But what I'd like to do is respond in worship. And so if you can stay and respond to God in worship, that would be awesome because we're going to take a stand. Your problems are real. They're real small (laughs) in the big scale of things. And I want to take a stand and I want to trust God together and proclaim his faithfulness. So would the worship team come and would you stand? And if you need to go, I totally understand. And I'm sorry for going long. As we sing, I want to let you guys know that uh, the communion tables are open. If you'd like to partake in communion and remember the body of Jesus that was broken so that you could get God. If you want to do that, you're welcome to that as we worship. Let's pray. I want to um, respond to you, God, because you've initiated with me and you pursued me this week. I was a brat this week. I had no idea what I was talking about. And you pursued me and you revealed your truth to me. And I thank you. um, And we continue to pray, God, that you would use us and that we would understand the truth about what you've done for us.
and that those would be the footings from which we would launch out. That it wouldn't be about our effort and what we've done and about how we're going to manipulate God by living a certain way. But we recognize this morning that your love is towards us. Uh, Your word is for us. I thank you for those that have gone before us. I thank you for the example of Jesus. That even Jesus felt forsaken by the Father, but he taught us how to pray. And he said, Father, forgive them, and to you I commit my spirit. He prayed, Father, forgive them, I trust you. God, why have you forsaken me? He said it aloud, and then he prayed, forgive them, I trust you. I thank you that he did that as he was being crucified. People were killing him, and he prayed those prayers, God. I pray it would be true of our lives that we could stand and pray those prayers as we face opposition. And that we could stand knowing that we belong to you. And that we would become like Christ. Being able to forgive our enemies and trust you in situations that feel like we're being stretched. In situations that we feel like we're being crucified. I pray that you would cause worship to explode from hearts here where people's hearts have been longing to worship you, but as it comes up and and, and, and collides with their minds and their thoughts and their accusations about you, it gets stifled and it's muted and it's turned down. I pray that our hearts would would flow before you like Paul's heart was just wide open before you. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God I was headed in the wrong direction and you pursued me. Praise God I'm not worth saving. And you don't save us because we're lovely. But you love us to make us lovely, God. We receive it. Where we've been relying on human effort, I pray that those religious games would come to an end and you'd encounter hearts this morning with the truth of the gospel. You would forgive our sins in Jesus. We love you today, God. We love you. We see in part, we're totally scared sometimes, but we love you. I've got no clue what you're up to most of the time. I love you and I trust you. And where you want to bring clarity and perspective to people, bring clarity and perspective to people. And where you want to teach us how to trust, teach us how to trust, God. We want to be caught standing with you the way that Paul was standing with you. When he said, praise God, praise God who's blessed us with all these spiritual blessings. Amen. Thanks for listening. We want to be a resource for you as you walk with Jesus. So please connect with us at radiantvicelia.com. Until next time. There is a heavenly city that I'm compelled to find. Oh, I love the flowers and trees and the smell of the grinding sea and all the beautiful things here in life. I
the grave divide. 